Our Torah portion for this week is called Vayira, and it means he appeared, meaning God appeared. He appeared, Vayira, and it's taken from Genesis chapter 18 all the way to chapter 22. So we're going to be all over those chapters this afternoon. So if I had to put a title to today's uh, message, it would be Sterile and Menopausal. <laughs> Sterile and Menopausal. You guys will uh, know what that means here in a minute. Uh, but if you're familiar with those texts, I'm sure you could already, uh, you know, draw your conclusions about where I'm going with this. But before we go any further, I'm going to ask a blessing over the reading of the word. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy Torah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, and continuing with the theme this year, we're finding good and bad situations. And the question that we're going to ask throughout this year is, where's the good in that? We're going to find, purposely find, uh, bad things, bad situations in the scriptures, and we're going to try to find the good in it. Because we've got to start training our mind now to find the good and bad situations, because there's going to be a lot of bad situations coming down the pike. You know, the government upheaval and social and civil unrest and, you know, inflation and the breakdown of civil order and uh, the taking away of our rights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's enough to get somebody scared and it's enough to get somebody depressed. And so we've got to train our minds to find the good and bad situations and ask ourselves, where's the good in that? And seek to find that. So in Genesis chapter um, chapter 18, we're going to begin with verse 1. but a lot of us are pet owners, um, and let's say that uh, your beloved pet finally crosses the Rainbow Bridge. And then I come to you and I promise that that pet that just died is going to have babies. You're probably going to look at me like I'm crazy and maybe even be offended because you'll take it as some kind of cruel joke. Now think about that. Something that is dead can't bring something alive out from it except maybe maggots other than that something dead can't bring something to life so we look at death as a final thing a finality and you know we know physically unless the lord steps in and produces a miracle that once something's dead it's dead it's not coming back it's just going to rot and just turn turn back into the earth and we know that physically speaking we sometimes talk about our biological clock and a lot of times when women get older and they want to have children, they get nervous because it's like, okay, my biological clock is winding down. It's ticking. I've, if I don't have kids now, I'm not going to have kids because at a certain point, you know, you become menopausal. And sometimes at a certain point, a man becomes sterile or impotent, one or the other. And it's hard to imagine life coming from a situation like that. And I think that's our problem here in the West. Our biggest problem in the West, as far as religion and faith goes, is faith itself. Intellectually, we believe. We read the scripture and we're like, okay, yeah, Jesus rose people from the dead. Oh, yeah, you know, Jesus performed miracles. Yeah, you know, the withered, the guy with the withered hand, his hand was made straight. We believe all that. Intellectually, and I believe in our heart. 
But I think we don't believe that that can happen today. I don't think we truly believe that it can happen now. We're afraid to believe because we're afraid if it doesn't happen, then what does that say of our faith? Oh, we didn't have enough faith, or oh, miracles aren't real, or we make some excuse or try to explain it away when it may have simply not have been God's will for that miracle to happen. Amen. But it's, you know, you hear more miracles taking place overseas in countries where there is a deep-rooted belief in spirituality. There's a deep-rooted belief in hexes and curses and witch doctors and all these things. It, people are more apt to believe in the resurrection of the dead or the healing or the regrowth of a limb in places like that. And it's happened more in those places because they're geared to believe that. But our Western world is so focused on the intellectual. You know, at the buzz phrase that we've heard over the last three years, follow the science. And they're not really following the science, but they're telling you to follow the science, right? Oh, it's science. It's, it's got to be this way. It's got to be that way. And science, and I'm not saying that science and faith are opposed to each other because Sir Isaac Newton was a Christian, but he was a scientist. And so he saw the grandeur of the creation and the miracles of God. But at the same time, he believed in scientific fact. Scientific fact doesn't go against miracles doesn't go against faith. Faith and, and facts go hand in hand. And sometimes God will suspend the laws of physics or suspend the laws of, of nature in order to perform a miracle. And those things we just have to attribute to God. But even Jesus himself could not perform miracles in certain places, especially his hometown, because they didn't believe. It hinged on belief. It hinged on faith. So we either believe or we don't. And you don't necessarily have to believe, because remember the man who, who uh, was carried on a pallet by four of his friends? Didn't say anything about that guy's faith. It was the faith of his friends that, that allowed that man to be healed and to raise from that pallet. So, um, both Abraham and Sarah were basically dead reproductively. Sarah implied that Abraham was impotent or sterile, and she admitted to be menopausal. And at one point, Abraham laughed because he laughed because of belief. You know, like, like when Donnie was praying for a car, and then all of a sudden, you know, his, his, uh, his uh, mother-in-law, his former mother-in-law said, yeah, we're going to give you dad's old car. He probably just chuckled because he believed it, but it was so joyous. He's like, oh, man, I can't believe this. <laughs> this is great. It was that kind of laugh. It was a laugh of joy and acceptance that, wow, this is happening. But as for Sarah, she laughed as kind of like, oh, pshaw, <laughs> that's never going to happen. That kind of a laugh. It was more of a scorning, mockery type of laugh because she's like, okay, I stopped having periods long ago. There's no way I'm going to have a kid. And even if I could, I'm not so sure that Abraham's able either, right? So that's why Isaac was named Isaac, because Isaac means laughter, because in both cases, both of the parents laughed for different reasons, but both of them laughed. And it's like that joke that, that I like to tell, you know, how, how people get their names. You know, we, we know how Isaac got his name, because his, his name means laughter, because Abraham and Sarah both laughed. But there was this one uh, native child, he come up to his grandfather, he says, Grandfather, where do we get our names? He's like, oh, my child. When your father was born, we seen a mighty buck. So we called him Mighty Buck. And when your sister was born, we saw a graceful doe. So we called her Graceful Doe. Why do you ask, puking dog? <laughs> uh, so in Genesis chapter 18, 
beginning with verse 1. Then Adonai appeared to him. Now, I know that God is a spirit. I know that God cannot be seen, but because God is God, he can manifest himself any way he chooses. And he chose to manifest himself in a tangible, physical, visible form. He did that with Yeshua because he is the son of God. He is God incarnate. So even back here, we see that Adonai sometimes appeared as a human being. Then Adonai appeared to him, to Abraham, at Mamre's large trees while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. Now, according to rabbinic tradition, this took place after he, Ishmael, and his entire household three days after his circumcision. The third day after any surgery is usually the worst, the most painful. So you can imagine how much pain Abraham was probably in to have his nether, uh, surgery, minor surgery on his nether regions. <laughs> and so here God shows up, and according to rabbinic tradition, God is showing up as a house call. I want to know how my patient's doing. I want to know how you're getting along. But of course, oh yeah, because it was a flint knife. It wasn't with, I mean, flint knives are just as sharp as scalpels, but anyway... Uh, so, according to rabbinic tradition, God shows up to check on Abraham, but Abraham didn't care about that. What he cared about was being hospitable to guests. That's what Abraham was known for. So, it says, when he lifted up his eyes, suddenly three men were standing right by him. So, it's like they came out of nowhere. When he saw them, he ran. It didn't say that he hobbled. It doesn't say that he winced. Doesn't say that he held his private parts and was like, oh, ah, yo. No, he ran from the tent, from the entrance of the tent to meet them. He put aside his pain. He put aside his uncomfortable ability. He put aside his tender, sensitive, embarrassing situation. And he ran to the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. Then he said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought to you so you can wash your feet and make yourselves comfortable under the tree. And let me bring a bit of bread so that you can refresh yourselves. Then you can pass on since you have passed by your servant. They said, do just as you have said. So Abraham hurried. You know how many times we use our little aches and pains and inconveniences of life as an excuse? I don't feel good. I'm tired. I don't want to. God understands. God knows my heart. And it's an excuse to get out of something that we could probably do. Abraham didn't let his condition get in his way. He ran. Then now it says he hurried into the tent and, sa and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and prepare bread loaves. Then, uh, then to the herd, Abraham ran and took an ox, a young ox, tender and good, and he gave it to his servant. His servant was just circumcised too. Because this word servant, I, it, I think it implies like a young lad. So it says, he gave it to a servant who prepared it quickly, and he took butter and milk and the young ox, and they prepared and set it before them while he was standing by them under the tree, and they ate. So Abraham was acting like a waiter. He was waiting on them hand and foot. Whatever they needed, he was going to provide. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? There in the tent, he said. Then he said, I will most certainly or most surely return to you about, about a year's time. Surprisingly, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So next spring, because this took, a, this took place around Passover, 
unleavened bread was served because they made the bread quickly. And then when Lot received the angelic guest, he too made unleavened bread. So it's kind of interesting, even though Passover wasn't a thing, they were still celebrating a type of Passover before the Passover even was a thing. It was almost prophetic that they were making this unleavened bread. So Sarah, so this time next year, basically in the spring, Sarah, uh, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and Sarah had stopped having the way of women. That's just a polite way of saying that she stopped menstruating. So Sarah laughed. She stopped producing eggs. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, <laughs> After I've grown decrepit, can I, desire, can I have desire in my Lord so old? Now this is interesting, too. Don't be fooled by the misconception that just because you're a Christian, that you have to divulge every single detail of a situation. And if you hold back any detail of the situation, you're not telling the truth. No. That's not the case. You're, you, you know, just because you're a believer doesn't mean that if you omit, you're lying. Some details don't need to be known by other people. You can make a long story short. You don't have to give every excruciating detail like, like J.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings. I'm telling you, he, he described every single blade of grass that the, they passed. That's why the books are so long. So it says, this is what Sarah said. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, <laughs> after I've grown decrepit, can I have desire and my Lord so old? Listen to what God said. Then Adonai said to Abraham, why is it that Sarah laughed saying, can I really give birth when I am so old? <clears throat> Did God lie to Abraham? No. How come God didn't say, well, your wife just said you're old. Your wife just said you can't get it up anymore. Your wife has said you're sterile, you're barren, you're impotent. God left that out. Why did he leave that out? Because he didn't want Abraham to be humiliated or to lose face. It wasn't a detail that Abraham needed to know. He cared about Abraham's feelings, and he cared about the sanctity and peace within a marriage. Could you imagine if some guest divulged something you said that maybe you shouldn't have said to your wife, and then you're, after your guest leaves, there's a big fight, and you're sleeping on the couch because I can't believe you told him that, right? So God is, is maintaining peace within the home. Then Adonai said to Abraham, why is it that Sarah laughed, saying, can I really give birth when I am so old? Verse 14, so important, memorize it. Is anything too difficult for Adonai? Is anything too difficult for Adonai? Oh, we just heard about a lady who had a stroke. Totally dead on the right side. Is anything too hard for Adonai? She was healed. I ran into a blind man. Was anything too hard for Adonai? Adonai gave that man his sight. So it says, at, at the appointed time, I will return to you in about a year, and Sarah will have a son. Okay, I read a little bit more than I wanted to, so we're going to stop right there. So, seemed like a cruel joke to Sarah. You're going to have a son in a year's time. How can that be? I'm no longer producing eggs. I'm no longer menstruating. My, my husband's old. So I don't know if that meant that he was just sterile or, or he was impotent. She likely didn't even want to have a child at that point. No, no, no. She wanted one. She, she desired did. one. Yeah. So she, yes, she did. Yeah. So, um, but how, just think though, how cruel that would be. Just think how cruel that would be if you're promising somebody something and physically it was really impossible for that to happen. You're basically telling somebody an impossibility. 
They would either think you're crazy or you're cruel to say such things. And maybe Sarah was in that, in that vein. So, where's the good in that? Where is the good in God saying that to Sarah? Well, it proves that God can resurrect dead things and bring dead things to life. Remember in the Exodus when the magicians were able to duplicate every plague except for the plague of lice? Because the plague of lice came from the dust. Dead, inanimate, inert dirt and dust came to life and was transformed into gnats. The Egyptian says, we can't do this. We can't mimic this plague. We can't do this with our secret arts, which means Satan can only manipulate. He cannot create. Satan can only manipulate. He cannot create. So they were able to, to reproduce all the plagues until it came to the dirt turning into lice. And the Egyptians said, this is the finger of God. So God is the only one who has the power over life and death itself. He can make the rocks cry out. He can turn dust into, into gnats. He can, if, if he wanted to, he could have allowed Isaac to be burnt to a crisp as a burnt offering and resurrect him from the ash, which is what Ab I believe Abraham believed was going to be done. So it's no big deal for God to make an impotent man or a sterile man or a barren woman fertile again. Now, here's another interesting thing. Before their names were changed, it was Abram and Sarai. There was only one letter added to their name, and it was the letter Hay, which the letter Hay in Hebrew is the letter of breath, because it even sounds like a breath. Hay, Hay. So it sounds like you're giving a breath. So the breath of life by the letter Hay was added to Abraham and uh, Sarah's name, and it was changed from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, and their body through that name change was regenerated according to rabbinic tradition. So their, 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 their reproductive organs were regenerated, were resurrected from the dead. He breathed life into them. So let's go to Genesis 21 really quick. Genesis 21, starting with verse 1. Then Adonai visited Sarah just as he had said. Okay, one year later. And Adonai did for Sarah just as he had spoken. So Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his, uh, his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore for him, Yitzhak or Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised Isaac, his eight-day-old son, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac, his son, was born to him. Man, I really, felt, I really feel bad for Isaac on graduation day. You know, hey, what'd you bring your grandparents? No, this is my mom and dad. Right? Great-grandparents. <laughs> yeah, great great-grandparents. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah, that's Al. Yeah, that's Al. When his kids graduate, they say, oh, did you bring your grandpa? No, that's my dad. <laughs> so Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. So that laughter of scorn turned into laughter of joy because what she doubted actually happened to her. So even if she didn't have faith, Abraham had enough faith for Sarah for this to happen. And God is a God of his word. He kept his promise. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. In other words, they're going to laugh because this is crazy. This is crazy. A, 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 you know, an old woman having a, a son, a 90-year-old woman having a son. Must be interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they didn't have like, you know, 
bottles and stuff like that. So yeah, breastfeeding would have been an interesting thing. So it says, she also said, who would have said to Abraham, Sarah has nursed children, for I have given birth to a son in his old age. Right, we're going to stop right there. So our God is the God of the impossible. Even if we believe God can do something, we have a preconceived, in our, a preconceived idea in our head how God's going to do it. Even if we believe we think God's going to do it a certain way, and when he doesn't, we're disappointed or we're angry or we're mad, and then he shows us up and, do it and does it in a totally different way than we expect. And we're like, wow, this is better than I even imagined. Well, duh, that's why I did it that way. Now, just a little cautionary tale. I remember one time, Pam and I were in Nashville. We were going to a church, and I was, I was in a spiritual low. And I really needed a, a, a rejuvenation, a touch from the Lord, a refreshing. And I said to myself, yep, I'm going to go to that service. And when they give the altar call, I'm going to go right up there. And I'm going to kneel down. And somebody's going to kneel beside me and put their hand on me. And they're going to pray with me. And I'm going to get the glory bumps and feel the Holy Spirit and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's the way it's going to happen. Well, I sat through the service. I was the first one up there at the altar at the altar call. Nobody. Not one person came to kneel beside me and pray. And I'm like, Lord, what's the deal with this? And I didn't feel anything. I felt dead as a doornail. And I'm like, I thought I was going to feel the Holy Spirit. I thought somebody was going to pray for me. And then the Lord said, and it was almost audible, almost audible. He says, don't you ever, don't you ever tell me how I'm going to do something with you ever again. I was like, oh, okay, God, I get it. And it was shortly after that, I got that refreshing that I needed. But because I made... A presumption of how God was going to, I was basically thinking God was a genie in a bottle and he was going to do what I said he was going to do. And he's like, nope. You, yeah, you got another thing coming, buddy. It wasn't his will. Because then it would show me, oh, well, I can command God to do whatever. So he's like, no, I'm going to do it my way and in my time. That's right. So our God is the God of the impossible. Now let's turn to Genesis 20. And it says, Then Abraham journeyed from there to the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur, while he was dwelling as an outsider in Gerar. So this is Philistine territory. Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. So Abimelech, which Abimelech means the father king. The father king. Maybe today we might call him Big Daddy. I don't know. So Abimelech of Gerar sent for and took Sarah. I think Abraham thought if she's my sister, you know, they're, 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 they're going to just pass her by. But it backfired on him. And he's like, oh, well, it's her sister. Well, it's not his wife. So she's, she's available. So I want, I want her in my harem. I want to diversify my gene pool. I want to make treaties with all different kinds of people. So whatever backfired. And Abraham, he didn't he he lied by omission in this instance. He didn't tell the full story when he should have told his full story, because we made the example how you don't have to tell everything in order to spare somebody of their feelings. But in this case, Abraham should have divulged everything, but he was too scared. He lied by omission. Yes, Sarah was technically his sister, because they had the same father but different mother. Uh, but, you know, he didn't say that she's my wife because he was afraid he was going to get killed so they could take her because she was so gorgeous. I mean, could you imagine a 90-some-year-old woman just looking really good like that? I mean, it's hard for us to imagine nowadays. But, I mean, no plastic surgery or nothing, and she's 90 years old, and she probably looked like she was in her 30s. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, did they just take it back in time? 
the world was different back then because you're 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 coming down like from from after the flood right? right and so the world was kind of settling down after the flood you got rid of the hyperbaric chamber so generations and environment had to change in order for us to get to where we are now so that's why you see lifespan starting to diminish you know from you know hundreds of years you know like right. 500 years to like 100 years yeah yeah things grew taller bigger, bigger better lo live longer and because of the hyperbaric chamber but now that was gone because of the flood right. you know that uh, that started to change okay. everything so it's not necessarily unbelievable that she would still look quite beautiful right even though she's in her 90s right it's hard for us to imagine that today because yeah. we don't live in the same world. But then again, there are women that you do see that have on commercials, and I'm not trying to promote this at all. Yeah. But I have seen in history in the past where they do the soap commercials. Yeah. And there's some ladies that are probably in their 70s and 80s, and they look beautiful. Yeah. Well, they do. Yeah. So it is possible. And it's not, it's, it's just genetics, and it's God. Yeah. And then some people, some people groups, have a greater longevity and elasticity within their genes. Like, right. you know, I've seen, you know, Asian women that are in their 80s and 90s and they don't look, yes. they look maybe like they're in their 50s or 60s. Yes. Well, look, Trevenai. First Nation or huh? Look at Oh, yeah, exactly. Perfect yeah. example. <laughs> I tell you. Chum looks like he's 26. All right. Okay, so we see that Sarah gets taken into Abimelech's harem. So where's the good in that? Where's the good in Abraham being bereaved of his wife, you know, taken into a harem, and we know all what happens in a harem, so we know what Abimelech had planned for Sarah. So is he worried that she's going to produce another child, potentially? But I don't think God, I think God allowed that once. I don't know, is she... Is she well, see, we're, this is before Isaac was even born, because yeah. we're, oh, yes. we're going back to chapter 20. So this is this is even before Isaac yeah, was born. But you'll see here the things that play out to prove that Abimelech didn't touch her, and so that when Isaac was born, nobody could say, "Oh, that's Abimelech's kid," because right. that's the thing that would have happened. So God, you know, worked in that. So in Genesis chapter twenty, verse three, it says, "But God came to Abimelech in a dream at night and said to him, Behold, you're as good as dead.'" Because of because of the woman you have taken, since she is a married woman. So even though Abraham was in sin by lying, God still moved on his behalf regardless, and still used that situation. Even though Abraham lacked faith and really screwed up at that moment, God still protected Abraham because he came to Abimelech in a dream and said, "Yeah, this guy Abraham, you know, you you got his wife. I mean, he was telling the truth that it's his sister, but it's also his wife." You, you know, you're good. You're as good as dead. And so Abimelech feigns his, well, doesn't feign. He, he uh, proclaims his innocence. He's like, well, you know that I didn't do this on purpose. He just didn't tell me the whole truth. He omitted. I didn't know the full story. And he's like, yep, you're right. You're, you're doing this out of a pure heart. You didn't know any better. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you slide, but just be careful how you treat Abraham because he's a prophet. He's my guy, you know? He did treat him well, too. He did, and that was part of the good thing. All right, so... He did treat him well. Right, and we're going to read about that. So in verse 8, it says, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and spoke all these words in their ears. And the men were frightened. Then Abimelech called to Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you brought this great sin upon me in my kingdom? You've done to me things that shouldn't be done. 
And Abimelech also said to Abraham, what motivated you to do this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought there is certainly no fear of God in this place. So they'll kill me because of my wife. And besides, she really is my sister. She's my father's daughter, though not my mother's daughter. Then she became my wife. So when God made me wander away from my father's house, I said to her, this is your loyalty that you must show me in every place we go, say he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, cattle, male servants, female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned his wife Sarah to him. Then Abimelech said, look, my, my land is before you. Dwell wherever it pleases you. At the same time, he said to Sarah, now this is important. At the same time, he said to Sarah, look, I've given a thousand shekels to your brother. Look, it is compensation for everything that has happened so that to everyone with you, you will be vindicated. Basically, Abimelech was saying this money is going to prove this is my, you know, this is my proof that I have not touched you, that we were not intimate. So that was the whole reason for that. So all this, the good that came out of even a bad situation where Abraham made a mistake and lied, the good that came out of that was it was a chance for Abraham to evangelize and educate Abimelech on Yahweh, the one true God. There's been times in my life where I have not done somebody right. And I've had to come back to them and apologize and ask for them to forgive me and say, you know what, I haven't been a very good Christian or a very good believer in your eyes because I did this thing and what I did was wrong. So I'm not only apologizing, but I'm making up for it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it right. And they're like, wow, who does that nowadays? Right? A lot of times we just get by with, oh, I'm sorry. And no, you're really not sorry. You're just sorry you got caught. But um, I'm sorry. But when you repay, they're like, wow, nobody does this. Who does this? So even in your sin and in a mistake that you made, you can even be a positive witness even in that. And we see that this is what happened to Abraham. So that was the first thing that he was able to be a witness, even in his failure and his sin, he was able to be a witness to Abimelech about Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. Number two, Abraham got richer because we see all the things that Abimelech gave him to say, okay, you know, I'm giving you this because maybe Abimelech thought that if I give Abraham these things, then that will appease his God. So his God won't take retribution on me for taking his wife. Even though I was innocent in the whole deal, I don't want to take any chances. I'm going to give all this to Abraham. Maybe that was his motivation, but Abraham got richer in the process. Number three, Sarah was proven to be fertile. So verse 16 says, at the same time, he said to Sarah, look, I've given a thousand shekels to your brother. Look, it is compensation for everything that has happened. So to everyone with you, you are vindicated. So it was kind of implying that she was sexually virile, that she was reproductively able to have a child. And so Abimelech's like, this is just proof that I didn't touch you. Nothing happened. You know, so it's to say, if, if you do have a child, it's not mine. Yeah. If you have a child, it's not mine. And simultaneously, not only, um, uh, you know, this proved that she wasn't violated by Abimelech, but this proved that Isaac, when he came, was truly Abraham's child. So that was the good that came out of that bad situation of Sarah being taken into Abimelech's harem. Now let's go to... And it also proves that nothing's impossible with God. Yeah. Okay, because she obviously did not get pregnant by Abimelech. Right. And she thought she couldn't get pregnant, and that 
Abraham was, you know, he was potent, right? So it proves that God can do anything. Yes. Yep, exactly. So let's go to 22. Genesis 22. We're going to read the first two verses. So Isaac's born, Isaac's grown, he's probably in his 30s. And it says, Now it was after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, he nani, which means here I am, he said. Then he said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Now that doesn't mean he didn't love Ishmael. It meant that Isaac was his only son from Sarah. That was the promised one. That was the promise in the beginning. And then it took so long for God to come through with that promise that Abraham and Sarah thought they would help God out a little bit and have a child through Hagar. Maybe that's what God meant. Maybe that's how it's going to happen. And then Ishmael was born, and you know that wasn't the way it's supposed to be. So God clarifies, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now, this, this land of Moriah and the mountain of Moriah is what today is the Temple Mount. So where the temple stood uh, is where Abraham offered up Isaac. Same place. Same place. Okay, so does God give gifts and then takes them back? No, but it sure seems that this is what God is doing here. Oh, I'm promising you Isaac. Sorry, you only had 30 good years with them. Now I'm going to take them back because I want you to sacrifice them. No, God, God does not give gifts and then takes them back. Verse 5 says, Abraham said to his young men, Sit yourselves down here with the donkey. As for me and the young man, meaning Isaac, we'll go over there and worship and return to you. Implying that both of them were going to return to them. Abraham had every confidence that he and Isaac were going to come back to the two servants that was left with the donkey at the bottom of Mount Moriah. So he knew that God wasn't, uh, uh, you know, didn't give gifts and then takes them back. So, uh, all right. Oh, oh yeah, in verse 19, verse 19 of this same chapter says, Then Abraham returned to his young men, and they got up and went together to Beersheba. So obviously, Isaac survive this ordeal. So Abraham believed that both would come back, that he and Isaac would come back. Now let's go to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Abraham said, and this is, he's saying this to Isaac because Isaac is like, wait, something doesn't, something doesn't make sense here. We've got the fire and we've got the wood and yeah, and we've got the knife, but where's, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And then in verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And in the Hebrew, it implies that God will provide himself as the lamb, which is prophetic of Yeshua, who is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Abraham knew either A, God would resurrect Isaac from ash, or B, he'd provide a substitute or a replacement. So Abraham likely knew that this was a test, and we get that in implication in the book of Hebrews. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, starting with verse 17, we get a little insight on this offering up Isaac. It says in verse 17, By faith, 
belief and trust by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac yes he who had received the promise was offering up his one and only son the one about whom it was said through isaac offspring shall be named for you he reasoned that god was able to raise him up even from the dead and in a sense he did receive him back from there so let me let me let you in on what a burnt offering really is you slit the throat you bleed the the sacrifice totally dry then you cut it up and then burn it to ash i mean it's more believable that you can cut somebody's throat and resurrect them because the body's still there right you know something weird could have happened but to actually reform ashes into a body again that that's that's pretty far far out there but god is the god of impossibilities right nothing's too hard for god so in hebrews it implies that abraham literally believed that if he did offer up isaac and burnt him to ash that god was going to raise him from that ash that's pretty amazing that's that's faith i don't have that kind of faith so back in genesis 22 starting with verse 12 so here we see that abraham was about to slit isaac's throat then he said this is god speaking to him do not reach out your hand against the young man do nothing to him at all now let me stop right there just for a second a lot of pictures and paintings will will show isaac as a little kid wasn't so isaac was probably in his 30s he could have easily overpowered his father isaac was in the prime of his life so isaac was a willing sacrifice he willingly laid down which is another prototype of yeshua he said nobody took my life i lay it down willingly no man take it from me so he willingly went to the cross just as isaac willingly laid down upon that sacrificial altar then he said do not reach out your hand uh, against the young man do nothing to him at all for now i know that you are one who fears god you do not withhold your son your only son from me then abraham lifted up his eyes and behold there was a ram caught in the thicket and the thick bushes by its horns reason being is if the ram was caught by any other part of the body those thorns or those bushes or those those branches would have blemished the sacrifice and made it an invalid sacrifice you can't blemish horns they're meant to be you know dealt with roughly and so it was caught by the horns so it was a it was a perfect sacrifice and he offered up the ram as a burnt offering instead of his son and abraham named the place adonai yira or yahweh yira or jehovah jireh as we sometimes say as it is said on the mountain adonai will provide or adonai will be seen yeah provider yep so Abraham proved total surrender and obedience and by his total surrender and obedience brings intimacy with God and brings blessings and miracles let me say that again total surrender and obedience brings intimacy with God blessings and miracles I'm still working on that I would like to be totally surrendered and obedient with total faith to where miracles and stuff like that happen on a pretty regular basis that would be awesome signs and wonders the stuff that I've watched Mm mm-hmm yeah no way i know what you mean amazingly awesome yeah but like you said if you don't if you lack that faith you're looking at it saying right you know what i mean yeah but if you believe in god and and god in all his glory and his ability why not well see you can do anything 
people often ask me, like, how come we don't see miracles and stuff like in Acts chapter 2 when the church first started out? Huh? Yeah, we do, but we don't see them on the grand scale as in Acts chapter 2, and we wonder why. I think because the conditions aren't right for those miracles to happen. Number one, we've got to be totally surrendered and we've got to totally believe, but not only that, it's got to be a situation where you don't have anything else to depend on but a miracle. Because think about this, the first century believers were under heavy persecution. They, were, they, they, they couldn't get jobs, they were hunted down, they were martyred, they were killed, they were imprisoned. They had a hard time providing for their families, so they literally had to provide, uh, d depend on God for miracles. And we are fast approaching and coming into a time very similar to that where we as believers are going to be persecuted. We may not be able to buy or sell. We may not be able to get jobs. We may not be able to be productive members of society. And it's like, oh, no. You know, I just realized it this morning. It's like, you know what? Even if I did have, have another job outside of Root of Yeshua Congregation, it doesn't guarantee my financial security. No job that you have will guarantee your financial security that you're going to be secure and be able to endure the times to come because you know what? All, they, all that has to do is the economy has to crash and then where's your job? Where's your money then? All you have to do is get laid off or you know the job become obsolete. Where's your financial security? Where's your safety net then? It's not there. Money cannot provide a financial stability. Now you got to be smart with your money, yes, but we can't depend on that thinking, oh, well, I got to make this and I got to do this because this, this, this. We've got to depend on God, and we're coming fast upon a place where we're literally, literally going to have to depend on God. Exactly, the money is not always going to be there. What if the what if the the banks crash? The money might be there, but the product to buy it might not be. There. Right. You're well. We remember in COVID there was a shortage on TP, yeah. and everybody was running to the stores for toilet paper. Right. There to be a bunch of millionaires and billionaires who are going to find this out very soon. Well, and that's exactly what happened in the 1920s. Millionaires who lost their fortune overnight was literally jumping out of windows because they put all of their stock in the money that they had. And it's going to happen again. That's why. It's going to happen again. If you're going to have bartering power. But then again, as Christians, probably going to be, like you said, we're going to be. You're just going to have faith that God is going to provide. And that's exactly where I'm going on. No matter yeah. how much we put, we set aside, which some of us are, right? Right. Look, they left the meat You know, we're going to have to trust that God's going to provide to go because desert. we may have to mm -hmm. uh, escape from our homes and leave that stuff all behind for others to enjoy. Right. And but it's like I said, prepare like Noah. Yeah, exactly. Stand like Daniel. And expect to be provided for like Elijah. So in either situation, you got your bases covered. I like, I like bread, bowel. <laughs> I do. Did you see that one you could have crushed it and actually had like breaded chicken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that we are going to see an Acts chapter two type of movement within the body of Messiah when we start becoming more persecuted and think, and we're we're going to have to depend on these type of miracles. Then you know our faith will be tested, and things are going to be like Acts chapter two. So I want to read uh, one last passage again before we close, and we've already read it, but it's in eighteen fourteen. In eighteen fourteen, remember this: is anything too difficult for Adonai? No. Is no? Is anything too difficult for Adonai? He can do anything. He can do anything. We believe that in our heads. 
And it's a little bit harder to believe in our hearts because when it comes right to it and we're tested, you know, do we really believe that it's going to happen? It may not. And it may not. But I still believe he can do it if he wants to. But and God may provide another way. He there if it's at will. Right. I'm not going to make him do it. It's all for his glory, not mine. If I got to die in the process of getting things in line for what needs to be done, so be it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. She is a tree of life to them that laid hold upon her and happy is every one that retaineth her. Heavenly Father, I don't know how to break that glass ceiling of intellectual belief and faith of the heart. We all want that. We all desire that. But we all struggle with that because we live in such a westernized, intellectualized, philosophical, uh, uh, dyed-in-the-wool-in-the-mind kind of world. And it, we believe in the spiritual, but we haven't seen it as much. So it's hard for us to believe it, even though we say we do and we believe in our head. Uh, the heart's another matter. So, Lord, we pray the same prayer as the man with the demon-possessed son prayed. Lord, we believe, but help thou our unbelief. Whatever it takes, Lord, for us to break that glass ceiling, to move from intellectual belief to a heart faith, to heart belief, knowing that you're going to provide, knowing that it's going to happen, knowing that whatever we ask in your name, we will receive it. Because, Lord, we all struggle with that. We all have a hard time with that. Other believers in other parts of the world don't have that problem that we have here in the West. So, Lord, we want you to prepare us for these hard times to come where we will be living on miracles and living by faith. Teach us, Lord, how to, how to live by faith. Even little small exercises bring into our hearts and minds that we can build our faith through these little things. Like when I was a little kid, Lord, wake me up at this certain time so I could watch cartoons. You did. I remember one time our parents, me and my mom and dad were coming back from a trip in the, in the car in the middle of the night, started sputtering. And I just prayed, Lord, get us to a gas station so my dad can get help. And Lord, you got us there. Even though it was spitting and sputtering and we thought we were going to be broken down on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, you saw us to a gas station. You answered that prayer and that was a test of faith. Lord, if you can do those things, you can do more. Lord, you even said, your son said to his disciples, <laughs> You will do greater things than these. I have yet to see those greater things, but I believe with all my heart that we will do those greater things. That even here in the Western world, in the United States and Canada, we will see the resurrection of the dead. We will see limbs regrow. We will see people healed. But Lord, we need, we need you to prepare us for that because we're not there. Help us to have the faith that Abraham had, that even if he did burn his son to ash, you would raise him from, from those ashes. We want that kind of faith, Lord. And Lord, I may be sticking my foot in my mouth by praying that, not really knowing what I'm praying. Oh, you don't know what you're in for, son. Maybe not, Lord, but we need that. Whether we know, uh, whether we know what we're in for or not, we, we require that kind of faith for what's coming. So we ask for that. Gently lead us into that, Lord. For we ask and pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.